Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thank you for joining us. Here's what we have for you today. We've heard that the EU may be uh, willing to look at opening up their markets to more U.S. beef. Is that the case, or what do we have to do to get to that point, or is this somewhat of a misleading headline? We're going to get into that with an economist for the U.S. Meat Export Federation coming up today. We'll find out just how close we are to moving more U.S. beef into Europe, but what are still the hurdles to overcome. Also, the the immigration issue continues, and uh, efforts to try to get a better guest worker program for agriculture continues. We'll talk with Paul Schlegel with the American Farm Bureau Federation about that. Uh, more and more uh, harvest getting underway in my area here in Jacksonville, Illinois, West Central Illinois. Farmers are going, combines are rolling, and we'll talk with a farmer here in Morgan County, Illinois, about uh, early harvest results so far. A couple news items, though. Uh, some strong messages being sent to President Trump. Over 80 of the nation's leading trade associations, representing thousands of businesses and workers, announcing the formation of Americans for Free Trade, a multi-industry coalition aimed at opposing tariffs and highlighting the benefits of international trade for the U.S. economy. This new coalition will join Farmers for Free Trade. That's the coalition backed by the nation's largest ag commodity groups. So they join together in a multi-million dollar national campaign called Tariffs Hurt the Heartland. The campaign will focus on telling stories of American businesses, farmers, workers, and families harmed by tariffs. And they'll do that through town hall-style events, grassroots outreach to Congress and the administration, social media, and digital advertising. So a big, big effort. The Farmers Farmers for Free Trade, if I can say it, have had their campaign going for a while now. Now it gets even bigger with this formation of the group Americans for Free Trade. Now another message being sent to the administration. In a letter to President Trump, the American Farm Bureau Federation, National Corn Growers Association, National Farmers Union, National Sorghum Producers, American Coalition for Ethanol, Growth Energy, and the Renewable Fuels Association, urging the administration to act immediately to restore the integrity of the renewable fuel standard and allow year-round sales of E15 and other mid-level ethanol blends. That letter follows comments made by Secretary Perdue that an announcement on the RFS and E15 would be coming soon. He said that during the Farm Progress Show, but we're still waiting for that announcement. So, some strong messages being sent to the administration on some key issues, trade and renewable fuels. Well, this has been called a critical week for getting the farm bill done by the end of the month. Let's get an update on that with our Finn our friend Philip Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Philip, thanks for joining us in this yeah, so-called crit- in this so-called critical week. What's getting done on the farm bill? Are they getting close or not? Well, we'll know a little bit more today. The uh, the four principal, uh, and they are the four that are doing the negotiating. Um, the chairman and uh, ranking members of the House and Senate Agriculture Committees. They they're meeting face to face today for the first time since about last Thursday. Uh, the staff has been meeting since then uh, from the committees, uh, but uh, very little, very little has uh, 
leaking out from there in terms of where things stand. Then it would seem that the September 30th deadline, that may not be uh, as attainable as we had thought maybe at one point last week that they might make it maybe looks a little more in doubt at this point. I would, it's very difficult to see how they can get there because there have been a range of issues that they have, they have not nailed down. In fact, they, in fact, they've been saying they haven't nailed down any of the titles. Uh, but they've still been uh, uh, at odds on uh, issues like the commodity changes to the commodity pro- major commodity programs. Uh, they had some uh, budget uh, cost estimate problems with uh, with those, uh, trying to reach a compromise on that uh, part of the bill. And there's conservation, and of course we've talked a lot about nutrition assistance. So a lot of things uh, unsettled um, and. Um, you know, from what we are hearing, uh, just it doesn't it doesn't feel like they've made that much uh, progress. But well, like I'm saying, we may know a little bit more today um, after this uh, meeting that the uh, four principals were supposed to have. Of course, it doesn't have to be done really by the end of September. Uh, end of the year is a, the, a harder deadline. And if we get to that point, though, then we're talking extension, right? Oh, absolutely. That, kick, that kicks it into not only have to have an extension, but that kicks it into the next Congress. And that Congress, it could be controlled by Democrats. Certainly, uh, the House could be controlled by Democrats. And so that creates a whole new uh, scenario. Um, the political dynamics is very different. Yeah. Part of the problem is here is you, you hit the nail on the head. September 30th is not really a hard deadline as much as they talk about it. It's true that the 2014 Farm Bill expires September 30th, but most of the major programs, the commodity programs, continue on. So it's really the end of the year when this Congress adjourns and a permanent law kicks in for dairy. That's that's when they absolutely have to do something. Really, right now, doesn't it boil down to the big four, the chairman and ranking member of each side, House and Senate Ag Committees? They have to really get the agreement hammered out, and then they – take it back and sell it to everybody else but it really lies with those four right it, it does it does and uh, the staff uh, from the from the committees i'm told that even the the members of the conference committee that's the other uh, beyond the four the four principles the other members of the conference committee are pretty much in the dark about what's going on so it's it's being very tightly held between those four and their aides all right, Philip, thanks. If anything breaks, we'll be back in touch. Thank you very much. Okay, great, great to be here. Thanks. Philip Brasher with AgriPulse Communications. Again, uh, doesn't sound like, unless something breaks right away, doesn't sound like they're going to have any big breakthrough on the farm bill to get it done by the end of this month, but we will see. Meanwhile, the other big story, of course, Hurricane Florence bearing down on the Carolinas and Virginia. And uh, it could really hit the local ag sector there very hard. North Carolina, right in the storm's path. That's home to a lot of pork production, some 9 million pigs, the second most in the U.S., one of the top turkey-producing states. Uh, Producers are bracing for the impact. Pork producers shifting pigs from flood-prone areas to higher ground, trying to stockpile feed supplies. The uh, president of the North Carolina Pork Council says... The preparations for a hurricane began long before the past few hours or days. Our farmers take hurricane threats extremely seriously. And, of course, uh, everyone watching the uh, lagoons that could overflow with heavy rain and flooding, that's a big concern. So um, 
Everyone watching closely what uh, happens with Florence. Now, when Matthew, Hurricane Matthew, battered North Carolina a couple years ago, that caused $400 million in damage to crops, uh, according to the state's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Poultry deaths then reached $1.9 million, and about 2,800 hogs were killed. So uh, they've uh, dealt with this before, but uh, this looks to be another very serious uh, storm moving into the Carolinas and Virginia, and we'll be watching that very, very closely. Well, how close are we to actually selling more beef to the European Union? We're going to talk about that with an economist with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. 
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about trade. There have been some reports that maybe we were getting close to a breakthrough with Canada on dairy policy, but uh, still nothing official. Canadian Foreign Minister Freeland headed back to Canada after yesterday's talks in Washington with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. No breakthrough announced yet on NAFTA, including uh, Canada. We know there's the deal with Mexico, but still waiting to see what happens with Canada. The dairy dispute still right at the heart of the uh, of the disagreement. Canadian trade experts say that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is really caught in a bind trying to deal with the matter ahead of their October 1 elections. And um, still, like I said, even though there have been some rumors, some reports out there, maybe they're close to a deal. Nothing yet has been announced. Meanwhile... Deputy Trade Ministers from the U.S. and United Kingdom met yesterday in London trying to build a formal trade agreement that uh, could commence after the U.K. exits the E.U. sometime around March of next year. The two sides are reported to uh, plan to regroup in Washington in November for their fifth meeting uh, on a possible deal. Well, we keep hearing that the EU might actually open up, be willing to open up their market to more U.S. beef. How close are we to that really happening, especially considering the long-standing uh, uh, disagreements we've had with the EU and the barriers that have been put up by the EU to U.S. beef, hormones and things like that have been huge issues. Let's talk now with Aaron Bohr, a U.S. Meat Export Federation economist. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Uh, how optimistic should we be from these headlines that the EU may be willing to open up to more U.S. beef? Are we close or not? Uh, Yes, I would say it's been, as you hinted, a a very long history, we'll say, with the EU, but um, there are a lot of confusing details, but essentially what's in the process right now is providing the U.S. more access under an existing quota, which is the duty-free high-quality beef quota for 45,000 metric tons, which we share with other supplying countries who meet the definition and Europe has approved to ship under this quota. Uh, The quota was established with an agreement between the U.S. and the EU coming out of the hormones case, which we won in the WTO decades ago. So, the uh, the problem is that the quota has been heavily utilized and fully utilized with huge growth from the other supplying countries, um, mostly Uruguay, Australia, and Argentina. And given the, the popularity or the fast use of the quota, uh, we're in a situation where U.S. beef cannot grow or, and we can't meet our customers' demands. And we're actually seeing a, a shrinking share of U.S. beef accounting for the quota use. And so it's not a tenable situation. And uh, the U.S. government's been engaged with the European Commission on reaching a solution or kind of a next step in our memorandum of understanding. And the commission took the necessary step on their side at the start of this month. So as the commission got back to business in the very beginning of September, they asked the European Council for a mandate, which is what needs to happen next for formal negotiations with the U.S so that a solution can be uh, reached. So there are several remaining steps, but we are very optimistic that the 
the move was taken at the beginning of September, and so kind of as quickly as it could have after the Juncker-Trump agreement um, in late July, and realizing that Europe is pretty much out of business in, in August on holidays. So we'll take that quick action, in a sense, as a positive. And now there are a few steps remaining, and of course timelines are impossible, but we remain optimistic that this uh, final agreement can be reached so that U.S. beef can again uh, work to meet the customer's demand in Europe, which is tremendous. Um, if we weren't being squeezed out, we know that business could grow from the current level of around $200 million to, uh, say, easily doubling that. So there's great potential there, uh, which is good news. Now, some sometimes these headlines get misleading and we hear a statement and it sounds like everyone gets excited. All right, we're going to start sending more U.S. beef to the EU, but as you point out, while it's a it's a positive signal, these other steps have to be taken first. So it's going to take a little while to work through all that. Right, exactly. And there are several remaining steps which should be accomplishable, um, given continued goodwill on all sides to move the process forward. And I think another point that their Ag Commissioner Phil Hogan made in the European statement was that, you know, this is still hormone-free beef, or as we know in the U.S., NHTC beef. And so uh, it's, it's carving out our share of the, really, the quota which was established because we won our WTO case. So in the eyes of a U.S. producer, it's you know, sort of making the deal right. <laughs> but it is, of course, more complex than that, given WTO rules and everything that has to be done to meet those obligations. Uh, but another more nuanced point that is important for the cow-calf producer is that if we, once we have this share of the quota guaranteed for the U.S. producer, then that provides a bigger market in the EU and more certainty for your NHTC cattle. And at the same time, if we can see the tariffs in China on U.S. beef um, return to normal, hopefully someday soon, then you would have access potential in China and Europe with a similar production requirement, and it would allow for, we think, tremendous growth in shipments of that, um, say, growth-promotant-free um, beef or NHTC beef of that variety uh, into these important big markets, which are both at the moment facing pretty big and different uh, market access barriers on the quota side. To get both of those markets, the EU and China, would be just tremendous, and, and wow, exactly. that, that would be exciting. But, uh, yeah, before we get to that, though, again, we point out they're looking for hormone-free beef, right? Right. So nothing is changing with uh, Europe's requirements, and so, again, we, we maintain that we won the WTO case. We've never given up that. Um, we've never conceded. Like, we still won the hormone case, but that's why this is a memorandum of understanding Instead of the U.S. having retaliatory tariffs on 116.8 million worth of various European products, uh, for the beef industry, we get more out of this by being able to ship to Europe at zero duty around $200 million worth of business. And so that was the agreement that was reached uh, once we finally decided, you know, look, Europe is, at least at the moment, not going to drop the hormone ban. So we'd rather be able to ship products meeting your requirements than have no business at all. And so that's kind of the the auspices of the agreement and now that other countries are, are eating up our quota uh, this is the next step to ensure continued growth of u.s non-hormone treated beef into the eu well i think you said it best when you laid out the steps that have to be met and you said 
depending on goodwill continuing between the two sides, and we know that can change at any moment. Exactly. That remains, um, I, I think, the biggest risk. Uh, but at the moment, the, the process is working, and so we certainly hope for, for quick movement. Uh, this it's, a, it's quite a critical situation. The next quarter opens at the start of October, and we expect the, uh, the quarterly allocation to be utilized essentially within days. Uh, the, quota, the quarterly allocation is 11,250 metric tons, and given the popularity, everyone has a race to get shipments cleared as soon as possible to ensure they can clear at zero tariffs, because if the quota runs out, you are stuck with chilled product either in bonded cold storage, which is expensive and obviously you lose shelf life, or you are paying a full tariff uh, into the EU, which is tremendously high. It's 12.8% plus, on average, a three euro per kilo or specific duty. So you can imagine it's over 50% uh, added tariff cost, which is completely prohibitive. So it's a, a race to clear product as soon as that quarter opens, and this is why it's such a challenging situation. So our chefs and retailers in Europe you know, want access to your, to U.S. beef consistently throughout the year and not just within, uh, say, the first week of each quarter. And there, there also is just a cap on the pure volume, obviously, that can clear with the competition from the other suppliers. So it is a, a crazy situation at the moment, and thus we need the, the issue resolved as soon as possible. Yeah, not a done deal, but at least encouraging signs of maybe moving more U.S. beef into the European Union. Aaron, thank you very much for the update. Thanks so much, Mike. All right. Aaron Bohr, U.S. Meat Export Federation economist. So that's uh, certainly, we want to watch that because if those steps can be taken and things proceed, uh, we could be moving more beef into the European Union. Could be a key market there. A lot of... uh, uh, a lot of baggage, though, a lot of history of problems between the U.S. and EU, especially on beef. But uh, maybe, even though you know we're talking hormone-free beef, but at least a market there that may open up more to U.S. beef producers. All right, what about the immigration? We're going to focus on that next. Ag Secretary Purdue says he wants Congress to pass an immigration bill overhauling the H-2A Ag Guest Worker Program. That's even though some major ag groups in the West oppose that measure. We're going to talk about the issue, where we're at, uh, what's the chances of something getting passed anytime soon with Paul Schlegel, Managing Director of Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. That's next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov generic drugs. 
Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network, and we are broadcasting today from the Big Iron Farm Show at the Red River Valley Fairgrounds in West Fargo, North Dakota. USDA will release its next World Agricultural Supply Demand Estimates at 11 a.m. Central Time on this Wednesday. Much of the focus will be on new crop estimates for corn and soybeans. Average trade guess on corn yields ahead of that report. 177.4 bushels per acre. Soybean yield could be a record, around 52.5 bushels per acre. With a bigger crop expected, U.S. ending soybean stocks for 2018-19 expected to increase to around 836 million bushels. That could likely represent the highest ending stocks to use ratio in 11 years. Ahead of the report numbers in soybean futures trending seven to eight cents lower. In corn trending a penny and a fraction lower. Wheat futures in positive territory though. In Chicago wheat we're trending three to nearly five cents higher. Minneapolis spring wheat trending three to four better. Kansas City wheat two to three cents higher. In the August WASD report, USDA projected a 4% reduction in world wheat production. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures were 35 to 57 cents higher as we await cash cattle activity in the central and southern plains. Feeder cattle trending 50 to 82 cents higher. In lean hog futures, a bit of a mix, firm to 30 cents lower in the nearby contracts. On Wall Street on this Wednesday, the Dow up 56, S&P up a point, crude oil trending 96 cents higher. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we have been talking about a possible overhaul of the H-2A Ag Guest Worker Program for some time. Been watching the progress, or lack thereof, of the uh, Goodlatte bill that would change the existing program and make it, uh, they would call it H2C, by expanding it to both include seasonal and year-round labor needs. Secretary Purdue has come out uh, supporting it. House Ag Chair Mike Conaway and Ranking Member Colin Peterson are both co-sponsors. But there is opposition, ag groups in the West opposing the measure. And um, we see the Western Growers Association, California Farm Bureau opposing the measure, and several other uh, California Republicans uh, have concerns about it because it includes an e-verify provision 
that would require employers to verify the legal status of their workers. So all that said, as the folks line up on both sides of the issue, Paul Schlegel is with us from the American Farm Bureau Federation. Paul, is it going to pass or not? <laughs> Mike, you're such a skeptic. You know, you're, um, I'm, well, I'm waiting for you to tell me it's going to pass. That's what I'm wanting. I'm hopeful. Well, before it passes, we have to get it scheduled, and we're waiting for that decision by the leadership. But, but if I could just let me comment. You, meant, you mentioned lack of progress. Over the month of August, um, we at Farm Bureau and among our states and other organization, national milk producers, have been working to build support. We now have 107 co-sponsors of the bill. And when you think of August, which tends to be a slow time, people are in travel, on vacation, that's a very good showing. And we, as you mentioned, we have Colin Peterson, the senior Democrat on the House Ag Committee, doing it. We have Dwight Evans of Pennsylvania, Henry Cuellar of Texas, all Democrats. We're, we're we're making progress. The years, you know, coming to an end, and so time, the calendar might be against us, but but we're still working to make sure it comes up. And I personally, I think it would pass if it were scheduled. Okay, I guess I'm somewhat skeptical. Yes, because we've been hearing that this was going to happen. We were told it was going to happen, you know, back during the summer, and here we are now, mid-September. It still hasn't happened. And as you said, the challenge is still just to get a vote scheduled. It is. That's true. And and when you mentioned the summer, uh, what happened, and it's a fact, is there was a commitment was given uh, to Congressman Dan Newhouse of Washington State and I believe Congressman Ross of Florida that a standalone ag bill would come up uh, before the August recess, and that did not happen. So with that, we have we had a there was a staff meeting with leadership staff uh, back in the beginning of August and uh, I've had some contact with them over the time we, we've tried to stress with them the fact that they want the issue to go the way doesn't mean the problems in agriculture are going to go away and those problems are real and we have to we have to address them what Mr. Gildat has put together is a very very strong guest worker program um, you are right in your intro. There are some ag groups that have concerns of, over other provisions in the legislation, but the program itself is a very good one, and we absolutely need to get something done because we can't wait any longer. What about the provision that has been very controversial that would force farm laborers who are in the country illegally to return to their countries of origin and then apply for the new H-2C visa? Okay, well, that, uh, that's a little bit uh, incorrect. What you said, they don't. The bill does not require them to return to their country of origin. It does not do that. What the bill says is that before their complete acceptance into the new program is finalized, they must leave the country. It does, it does not require them to go to their country of origin. So you could have workers who could leave. They could go to Mexico. They could go to Canada, and that it's not. There's not a set amount of time stipulated uh, for them to leave, so it could be relatively brief. It's the bill is silent on that question. So, even though, frankly, if we had our uh, druthers, we would not ask for that provision. We don't want a touchback like that done because it makes it tough for agriculture. But that having been said, uh, an amendment was offered, committee it was adopted, and the chairman has tried to craft it in a way that make it, makes it workable for ag. So you were right. That's a controversial provision. It's one, frankly, if we could change, we probably would change. And what about the E-Verify issue? Well, uh, 
we if, again if we had our druthers i'm not sure we would want e-verify but but the leadership has there's a constituency for e-verify and they uh would like to see that we have told the leadership and have been emphatic about it that should they do something like that if they do not take care of agriculture's problems we would come out with everything we had against it and they know that and they i think acknowledge that we could probably kill an e-verify bill and they're trying to address our issues and so they've married those two issues together they've taken e-verify which some members want with an ag bill that uh, we're pressing for and the solution to our problems and that's the kind of political marriage that's taken place we're talking with paul schlega with the american farm bureau federation paul is it unusual because I see California Farm Bureau opposing the measure. Is that unusual on an issue like this for AFBF to support an issue and then one of the state organizations in your in AFBF to oppose? Um, I, I, I'm not you say it's unusual. Um, we do from time to time on various issues. Uh, some states might have it can come up in a farm bill or um, states will have a particular emphasis or geographic uh, perspective on an issue. So it's not unheard of. Um, and uh, we clearly uh, we want all our, our state affiliates to, to be together, and uh, it's an issue that they feel strongly about in California. We respect that uh, difference of opinion. Um, and I, I think in, in many ways it's not so much a difference in substance as it is in in legislative tactics is uh, we agree with california farm bureau that some of the issues they pointed out need to be addressed we don't question that we just think that we can't forego the opportunity of getting a bill passed because the the issues they have identified we think can be addressed in the senate so as you and i have talked about many times before no one's saying it's a perfect bill but right. it's certainly a better, it would be better than what we have now. It's a step towards getting something even better in the future. Yes, and, and, and what we point out to people, think about it. The last time a bill came up dealing with agricultural labor was in the Senate five years ago, 2013. The last time before that was in the Senate in 2007. That was 11 years ago. And the last time before that was probably the 1990s. So you don't get these opportunities very often, and if you say, uh, you can't let the enemy be the perfect. Uh, the perfect be the enemy of the good, and so we need to take this opportunity. We feel, and the board voted unanimously, there's enough good in the bill, and the opportunities in the Senate are there to improve it. That we need to take the opportunity, and that was essentially the judgment that the board made. And so, there's. I don't think there's a disagreement. Disagreement about the policy. It's just how do you make the bill better. Now, you said you think if you can get it scheduled for a vote, you think the votes are there to pass it. It must be very frustrating then not being able to get it scheduled. And then you look at the, where we're at on the calendar and you look at all the other issues uh, before Congress. It, that seems to be kind of daunting just to get it on the schedule. It, it, it is. That, yeah, it's tough. And, and you know, if... If you can't deal well with frustration, you don't want to deal with agricultural labor because it's a it's a constant challenge and um, it, it, it's something you need to educate members about. They don't realize that the situation we're in today, the members, farmers follow the law. It's the law that's broken, and the only people who can change the law are Congress, and they 
they somehow want to blame everything on agricultural producers, and that's not the case. But it it, it is frustrating, and the calendar is short, and uh, but we've got to take everything we can and make the best out of it. You talked about looking back in recent attempts to get something done, how few and far between they've been. I mean, you got to wait a long time, and so you have to take advantage of this opportunity because obviously the ag labor issue is becoming, many would say, a crisis. It's a bigger issue all the time. It can't really wait another four or five years to, to try it again. It absolutely can't. And if you think about it, if you take the bill that passed the Senate five years ago, um, had that bill been signed into law, that would have legalized much of the workers, the current workforce in agriculture. Today in our economy, where unemployment is below 4%, those workers would have every economic opportunity anybody else would have, and they would, many of them would have left agriculture. And so what we would have been left with was a worker program, and the worker program in the Senate bill five years ago was nowhere near as good as the bill we have today that Chairman Goodlatte's proposing. And that's, that's the choice we're faced with. It's important on our current workforce that we have stability, but we also have to have a program that's going to work in the future or we're just going to face this situation again. So when do we find out if it's on the schedule or not? Well, uh, I hope in the next few days that, that we have not uh, gotten word. And uh, I was on the phone earlier in the week with the Chairman Goodlatte staff, and they have not gotten word. And, you know, we, we, we feel good about the number of co-sponsors, but we, uh, the leadership, you know, that the elections are looming. And these days, you know, the, the it looks there's some conventional wisdom that the House could change uh, party control. So all those factors go into whether or not they what the calendar is going to tell us. All right, Paul, we'll keep a close watch on it. And hopefully I'll be giving you a call here soon and we'll talk about it being on the schedule. That would be great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Paul. Paul Schlegel, Managing Director, Public Policy for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And again, the efforts underway still to try to get a vote scheduled on the Goodlatt bill for the Ag Guest Worker Program would change the H-2A program to H-2C with some uh, changes that would include having both seasonal and year-round labor needs addressed as well. As he said, not a perfect bill, but better than what we have now and better than the uh, bills that have been proposed in the past. Well, harvest uh, underway in west central Illinois, right here where I'm at. We have a farmer going to join us next to give us some early harvest results. I can even see the dust from his combine from from my house. He's that close. We'll check in with uh, Morgan County, Illinois farmer Don Hedden next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water in incredible 144 times a day. You simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, time for another harvest update. And I mentioned that Donnie Hedden farms just very near me here in Jacksonville, Illinois, West Central Illinois. And I could see the dust uh, he was kicking up uh, with the combine in the field yesterday from my house. And the fact that dust is flying in, is in an itself a big story because we know a lot of areas are still wet trying to dry out but donnie uh, the rains that we had over the weekend um wow they soaked right in pretty quickly didn't they they sure did and some of us were happy to get it uh we've been we've been dry for 12 months or, or more so happy to get that yeah we have been we have good looking crops here uh because we've had a rain just about every time we needed it, but we didn't have any really uh, surplus or extra, did we? It just kind of we were going hand to mouth most of the year. As you well know, uh, on the western side of the county, and we have been hand to mouth. Uh, a few miles east of us, they get plenty of rain, but I think we were right on the edge of the abnormally dry, and we lived it. But now I think we're we we are out of it, and I'm very happy about that. Now you got a little bit of field work done last week before the rains came, and now you're you got going again yesterday. How much have you gotten done so far? Uh, we haven't got 150 acres yet. Uh, we're a little short-handed. We're trying to uh, put up the last crop of hay and bale hay and and shell corn, and we're we're pretty thin on help right now. Yeah, you got a lot going on. I know a lot of farmers trying to get all that done as well. Before I get to your early corn yield results, uh, tell me about the hay crop. Good hay crop? Uh, overall, or just for now, it's uh, we have a lot of water grass. But uh, as a cattle producer, any hay this year is better than no hay. And uh, so we're just trying to bale everything that we can and make it go. We've got some very good hay and some that's kind of poor. We're talking with Morgan County, Illinois farmer Donnie Hedden, who, along with his son Jason, farmed just west of Jacksonville, where I live. All right, uh, so some of the early results. Uh, what have you seen on some of these corn yields? Well, we were expecting 220, and uh, two months ago I thought that was optimistic. That's uh, that has been what we've seen, and we've seen some better. Uh, where where I'm at now, just just west of you, we've had a little more rain, and it's 20 or 30, 30 bushel better than that. So, so we're, we're talking we're very pleased with this. 220 to 250, kind of the range so far. For our our part, yes. Now, what about and the moisture levels? Well, I was just going to say that. Um, Last week, it looks like we've had some corn that prematurely died, and uh, we were in some that was 16, uh, but it, it just it didn't look right. I think we've had a lot of leaf diseases, and, and we didn't put on any fungicide for our part. And uh, I was in some yesterday that was causing me some trouble. 
the tops are gone out of it, and it was down to 14 and a half. Wow. And that is way too dry for this early, even though it's a fairly early number. So we've gone from this 14 and a half to 18, almost 19%, and, and the 19 is probably a little better than the 14, especially yield-wise. Mm-hmm. You and I were talking at church on Sunday about the concern about the, the condition of the beans when you're going to get to them, concerned about the, it could be hard to, to uh, harvest some of them. You don't want them to going down and having problems. Uh, what's it look like when you get to the beans? How do they look? We haven't cut any yet, but we've been uh, been looking at them. And from a, from a combine camp looking at the bean fields, I, I don't know that. We have any that are down. They are leaning. Uh, talked to a producer who was east of town. They had a big rain 10 days ago, and he, he thought his were, were down, and they were going to have to fight some of those to get them. So, so far, we're in pretty good shape, and we're starting to lose our leaves, and hopefully uh, maybe next week we'll get some early three uh, group three beans out. And you're expecting some pretty good bean yields, aren't you? We're expecting it. Um, beans are a hard, hard thing to judge. Uh, we've got some that are really tall, but maybe they're not potted quite as close. And some of the shorter ones, at least along the edge, uh, really potted very close. So we're anticipating something good, and with the price, we're going to need it. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about moisture and the, the rain situation throughout the year. What about the disease insects? Have you had any real issues there this year? I don't know that we've had any insect problems. Usually some of the insect problems we have would come earlier. Did not see that. I do think we had a lot of leaf disease in the corn. Uh, I know a lot of people put fungicide on, and that helped some, but they still had some. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, Stock quality, for what I see, looks to be pretty well, pretty good. Now, when we look at uh, the harvest, where you're at now, are you is this earlier for you or about the about your normal time for harvesting? This is about the time we start. It's just a little drier than normal. Um, I'd say we're probably on pace with last year. We're, we've got some smaller fields with early numbers in it. We're trying to get those out of the way while it works and uh, hopefully get a full complement of people to help and, and hit it hit it strong when the time is right. It looks like the forecast is favorable for a pretty good stretch here to get some field work done. Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic with that. and uh, We are one of the few that seem to be going now, and uh, uh, it's, it's not the ground is not that sticky. Uh, so I think more people will, will join in here fairly quick, and I'm sure within a week's time everything will be in full swing. All right. Well, thanks for the update, and I'll stay in touch, as always, and uh, we'll talk when you get uh, a little further into it, especially get into some beans, okay? Thank you, Mike. All right. Thanks, Donnie. Donnie Hedden, who farms uh, in Morgan County, Illinois, just uh, just west of Jacksonville, where I'm at. In fact, uh, uh, looking out my west window, I can see him in the fields a lot of times, so uh, appreciate the update. Again, uh, his early corn, 220 to 250. 
and moisture ranging from 14.5 to 19%. Well, that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow we'll take a look more on the trade issues, uh, concerns from wheat growers about the ag assistance formula that was used, and we'll look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers, all coming up tomorrow on AOA. Have a great day, everyone.